Let's do it. Podcast number four. Thanks for joining us on the fourth edition of the Real Life Diabetes Podcast by DiabetesDailyGrind.com with 405 Brewery Beer Masters, Jonathan Stapleton and Trey Carson. Welcome back. I'm Ryan Fightmaster, co-founder of the DDG. You guys already know who I am. You've heard the spiel. Plant-based, vegan eater, cyclist, runner, urban outdoorsman. I sometimes camp in my backyard. And first-year medical student. Diagnosed at the age of nine, I've been on the warpath towards inspiring authentic diabetic lives ever since. That's our mission here at DiabetesDailyGrind.com, to offer real support for the diabetic life. Diabetes isn't easy. Even pronouncing diabetes is difficult for some people. The DDG team wants you to count your carbs, take your insulin, and keep a low A1C. All while you run marathons, get in hot tubs, with or without clothes, discover what makes you happy, and go big on spring break. Speaking of spring break, I just published a guide on how to have the time of your life and stay out of the ER on your trip. Amber gladly claimed victory over diabetes, temporarily, in a recent post. We also started up a March Madness-style bracket of the best low blood sugar snacks. So by the time this publishes, a champion should be crowned. Check it all out on the website, diabetesdailygrind.com. Oh yeah, Amber and I have also been experiencing or experimenting with some video content. We'd appreciate it if you guys subscribe to our YouTube channel. At the least, you'll at least you know somehow get a laugh. It's pretty ridiculous, some of the stuff we're putting up. Uh, but this week was an exciting one for the DDG. Amber had a great time visiting the endocrinologist, and I hit the slopes. Again, over St. Patty's Day. It was quite the memorable trip. Uh, not quite sure how I'm cataloging the experience yet, uh, but at some point I will, I will get something up on the side about it. But before we jump into this week's show, we would like to thank everyone again who continues to click on our Amazon banner ad located along the right side of the DDG homepage before they shop. Those clicks, they're keeping the ship afloat. All it takes, go there, click on our site, diabetesdailyground.com, Amazon banner ad, takes you over there, buy all of your stuff that you usually buy on Amazon. We get a few cents in return. All right, so today's podcast, it was awesome. We got deep into the beer. We talked about all things sugar, how sugar converts to beer, and then how it really applies to the diabetic life. And by doing that, we welcomed in Norman's first micro brewers, Jonathan Stapleton and Trey Carson from the 405 Brewery. Tiny disclaimer before we start the show, the Diabetes Daily Grind is not encouraging alcohol consumption by people with diabetes. We do encourage safety and respect to the drinking process. Always wear your designated piece of jewelry or tattoo in Amber's case, denoting your diabetes diagnosis. Enjoy the show. Back at 405 Brewing, hanging out, Jonathan Stapleton, Trey Carson, the founders, the brewmasters, to talk about all things sugar, beer, and the entire process about this drink that we all love so much. We love it, so we're here to talk about it. 
It's a day of the grind. It's a day of the grind. It's a day of the grind. Grind, 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 grind. So we're here in Norman. We're hanging out, four or five brewery, kicking it with Jonathan Stapleton, Trey Carson, and we're here to talk about some beer. All right, so guys, Jonathan, you've got the mic right now. You and Trey, you guys can just share. Uh, we want to give a little bit of a history here about 405 Brewing, which you guys are about, when you started, uh, the recent developments, just, <laughs> to tell her, just to tell us about what's going on currently. I know this is a long story. This is, but yeah, give us the highlights. All right. This is Jonathan. We're going to break it down in a couple pieces. <laughs> I want to hold on. I want to say one thing. The reason I met Jonathan and Trey because they were coming to Dreamer for events and they were kind enough to invite me to a beer tasting. I think at your house, Trey, wasn't it? In the beginning. And so you guys, and that was like six or seven years ago. Yeah. You guys were doing beer tastings? We were. Back then? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was Trey. <laughs> and it was awesome. They had a whole spread out and I got to meet a lot of new people and taste good beers and it was something that I wasn't doing very often. So anywho, so that was a little bit of history on how I got to know the guys and um, have been excited to see them get to this point. First brewery, microbrewery in Norman, Oklahoma, correct? Correct. <laughs> Maybe you guys need to drink a little bit more and get a personality. I'm <laughs> just going to throw that out there. Um, okay, so going back to if you guys want to give a little history on the 405. Well... We have some tangles here. Um, that's maybe a better story for Trey, but I will I will set it up. Back in 2007, Trey took a group of four of us on a nine-day bachelor trip, touring breweries and collecting and tasting new beer. So shortly after that trip, which was a whole story in itself... Uh, Trey became interested in the best part of that story by the way is when I vomited in the streets of Milwaukee <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of a quick highlight nine days where else did you go through that tour so, Oklahoma to St. Louis to Chicago to Wisconsin all across Wisconsin wow. Minnesota Iowa Kansas back wow. home wow. wow yeah a lot of beer drinking and seven years ago, craft beer was not at the level it is now. Mm-hmm. Craft beer didn't have the same uh, same market stake that it has now. So during your bachelor party, it sparked the thought that you wanted to brew beer. Absolutely. Huh. Well, that's awesome. We fell in love with it. The four of us all just really loved our experience and had a great time. And beer is about having a great memory yeah. of drinking. And Should you be able to remember? We should. <laughs> Part of craft beer is also moderation. That's important to always remember. Mm-hmm. And that actually come into play with health as well. Mm-hmm. Moderation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so my mother got a um, coupon or something for a learning to brew class at Learn to Brew and More, uh, Ryan's hometown. Woo! <laughs> Did she find the coupon at a garage sale? I don't think so. But <laughs> because your mother loves the garage sales. She does. Okay. So, uh, I took the class with one of the other of the four of us that had been on the trip, Ben. And we uh, 
jumped straight into it was an all grain brewing class, which is a, a more advanced than just the basic um, brew with extract and boil, and you're done. And we tried to take as many mental notes as we could. We didn't write anything down, I don't think. And then at the same time, Trey was piecing together and ordering equipment that came from California. 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 That someone else had used as their home brew system, and then they finished with it, and they sold it, and Trey bought it. So we ended up with all these pieces several weeks later. Pieces like how big are we talking? Oh, they're over there on the wall. Well, and people who are listening probably can't see that, so that would be 15 gallons. (laughs) But we can take a picture and add it. We to the will, podcast. yeah, we, we, we can. can. Do that. <laughs> but that's good to know. Fifteen gallons. Like, so please scroll down until you find a picture. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we gathered together the pieces we thought we needed, and we bought some ingredients. I, you just came up with a recipe, I think. I think I, the first recipe was copied from someone else. Oh. You got to start somewhere. First beer. Yeah. Well, what, what was the first beer? It was supposed to be a pale. <laughs> Ale, I believe. A very sessionable pale ale. Six <laughs> percent. Ended up being nine and a half percent alcohol. <laughs> and had quite a zing. And probably 300 IBUs and just destroyed your palate instantly. But by the time you got the second glass, you're like, well, this is okay. You're drunk, yes. <laughs> uh, so to make the story short, we didn't have everything we needed. Which is why the brew day took so long. The very first brew day. It was only a 14-hour brew day. Um, <laughs> we have we have pictures and documentation. We had burgers from Goldie's, which Goldies. is now out of business. Yeah. Oh wow. It's a sad day. The pickle bar. Yeah. Oh, was yeah. that on Alameda? This, this was when it was on oh, Alameda. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Anywho, okay. Mo- so fast forward. Uh, well, the in betweener, we. Uh, brewed a lot often and doing that got a lot of practice and eventually made something that someone said did not taste like homebrew there is a difference though you can taste the difference between homebrew you know you get the little brew on your own the little box put all the ingredients together cook it like oatmeal my dad used to do it as a kid and <laughs> i, I taste i tasted a few of them. whenever i was a kid my dad my dad used to brew this stuff <laughs> I was like, you know, hey, this tastes like beer. This tastes remotely tasteable, but there's a difference between that and the refined art of getting a good beer to come out. All right, so you guys did the initial Pale L, and then you did multiple versions moving forward, and now we're today. And I know you guys got this building. When did you guys get this building? Like a year ago, maybe? Two years ago? Two years ago, March 2013. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so two years ago, you guys get this building, and then you start brewing. No, no. Before we start brewing, it's a lot of permits, licensing, dollars spent on electrical, plumbing, anything and everything. A lot of people want money. It's incredible. Would you say like 18 months that it took you to get to the point where you could brew the first batch? Yeah, just actually right under two years. Hmm. And along the way, we had the opportunity to work with some some local lawmakers and change a city law. And it's good re- to know people. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it's important to have. Laws. It's important to live in a, to live in a city where they're interested in changing those laws, and they yeah. really promote small business. Mm-hmm. And on that same topic, would you guys take a moment here to just talk about Oklahoma 
in the way that our our, our beer set up and the licensing and the way alcohol is treated, I mean, I'm sure that had some kind of impact on the feasibility of even launching a brewery. So Oklahoma ranks low in breweries per capita. Large parts, that's due to our archaic alcohol laws, which does not allow a brewery to sell directly to a consumer. Right. Post-prohibition, the three-tier system was in place in most states. Most states have done away with the three-tier system. Oklahoma still holds true to that. And all of our beer must go through a wholesaler and then must go to a liquor store or a bar before actually getting to a consumer. So what we might be able to sell for, let's say, $2, $2 $2.50 to a consumer, by the time they get to the bar to to buy it, they're probably going to pay five to six dollars. Yep, every beer that you buy here that's on tap that comes from a local brewery, it's almost guaranteed it's going to be five dollars plus. Absolutely, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I can only think of off the top of my head probably five breweries in Oklahoma that are mainstream breweries that you can get beer at a liquor store. I think we're now with contract brewing. I think we're now up to nine. And oh, wow. con- contract brewing has been very popular the past two to three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, with what does that mean? So. A contract brewery is they don't actually have necessarily have a facility in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. but they are using the license of another brewery to brew their beer at that facility. <laughs> For instance, Black Mesa, which mm-hmm. is an Oklahoma company, they've is, grown quite a bit, and they have not mistaken, yeah. And they're brewing out of Missouri. Mustang was brewing out of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. but we've had a, a big player, and that's Chalk Brewing, which is the oldest brewery in Oklahoma, and they have stepped up and have a gigantic brew house, and they have been able to help small breweries come come on board uh, by offering contracts and staying within the state of Oklahoma, which is fantastic. And what it boils down to is job growth. And, and the more we can have uh, the opportunity to sell directly to consumers or keep that business here in Oklahoma, the more we can, the better opportunity to create jobs. And Jonathan's showing a really awful picture of when we were younger. Actually, it's not awful. I think it's just funny. You guys look like you're 12. Well, except for Jonathan, he has a beard. (laughs) (laughs) And it's outside of Anheuser-Busch headquarters, (laughs) what it looks like. (laughs) We'll be sure to add that in their photos as well. Well, it is interesting. And uh, being a person who was in Norman for college and then seeing this now, uh, realized that the brewery scene was somewhat limited. And having gone to Colorado and Montana and being in places where you can walk in and taste beer on the spot, buy beer on the spot, and then leave. I mean, uh, it, it would be something that I know that we're working towards here in Oklahoma. But it's cool to have you guys on board. Um, and so, yeah, look, okay, now I'd like to maybe jump into the the direct brewing of beer. Because we need to find out how many carbs are in beer, what mm-hmm. the sugar content's like, and how that differs between the different types of beer. So if you guys wouldn't walk us through the basic 101 of beer brewing. What goes into beer? Where would these so-called carbohydrates come from in beer? That kind of stuff. The simple answer is that the proteins and the carbohydrates that you're getting in a final beer are coming from grain, and that's typically known as barley. But some variation of barley, whether it is only slightly kilned or it's a highly roasted barley, and then you're also going to be uh, receiving some of that from yeast as well. So the basic process for, for creating beer, it's, as you mentioned earlier, similar to making an oatmeal. And that is add hot water to grain, let it sit there. During that, during that time, a conversion process happens in which carbohydrates are turned to sugar. Okay. And then we go forward and 
yeast eat sugar and yeast poop out CO2 and alcohol. Yeah, wow. yeast. Wow, that was that was great. <laughs> that was great. Thank you. That's a very yeah. good way of putting it. No, so it's not necessarily the amount of sugar that gets put in or the amount of oats or barley or whatever the grain base is. It's how much work the yeast does, how much gets kicked out, how much is remaining. I mean, it's a it's a it's not just a put in 25 carbs worth of oats into a beer or barley and get out 25 grams of sugar on the other side. Well, the more the more grain that you have in the mash or in the mash, uh, the more sugar you're going to have during the extraction. Okay. Um, so Would that lead to a stronger beer? <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. So stronger more, beer in the alcohol content? Al- in the ABV. Okay, correct. ABV. Hmm. So the more sugar that's there, the more the yeast can eat. The more the yeast can eat, the more alcohol you're going to get. Hmm. Ah, okay. So sugar, the amount of sugar in a beer, actually not in beer, but in wort, which is that sugar water we collect from grain, the amount of sugar that's in the wort, uh, the higher that number, th- the more opportunity you have for a higher alcohol. Do you guys ever add in pure sugar to the beer? At times we add in corn sugar. It's a very popular technique. We add it in typically the first day of fermentation, and we do that to create a very dry beer. Oftentimes India Pale Ales, in order to have hops really shine through in, in the flavor of the beer, they'll add in corn sugar so that they get a really great attenuation of yeast and eat through all of that sugar that's out there. Okay. Okay. So you add in sugar, make it a little bit more dry. And if you add in more sugar on the back end, is that also going to increase your ABV? Absolutely. All right. So more sugar, higher the volume. So is it, would it be safe to say then that the stronger the beer, the more sugar content you're probably going to have as a consumer when you drink that beer? Not necessarily. Okay. Because the object is the object is for the yeast to eat the majority of the sugar that's in there. I oh, Okay, because then that makes the alcohol. Yes, and there are some beers that when you're speaking of, of styles like a, like a barley wine, imperial stout, that are going to have a higher sugar level for you. And the reason being they have what we refer to as residual sugar. So that is that the alcohol has gone so high that the yeast can no longer survive. Imagine as a human, you're living in, you're living somewhere where you have limited amount of oxygen. Once you use up that oxygen, you can no longer survive. Same thing goes for the yeast. They basically kill themselves out by creating alcohol. The alcohol in, ter- in turn kills them. Inter- that is a great way. It's incredibly it. interesting. Yeah, I'm fascinated. But whenever you taste a stout, which is the beer that you guys currently have on tap, right at Scratch and uh, McNelly's, a couple of local bars mm-hmm. around the town, whenever you taste a stout, it is a little sugary. You can taste a little bit more sweetness in a stout beer. And last night, I was at a place in Oklahoma City called Fassler Hall, and I had a stout there. And I, I noticed a significant increase in my blood sugar, in, in comparison to, say, if I were to have a Bud Light. Right. So Bud Light, I think, for instance, has four carbohydrates in a beer. So that's what I was looking at just not, now, actually. It's not very much at all. Bud Light here, 6.6 grams oh, okay. of so yeah, carbohydrates. Oh, okay. But then I think your average IPA has like 14, 16, 18 amount of carbohydrates in it. Let's pick one and we can see. Per 12 ounces? We're talking per 12 ounces. Correct. So that's quite a bit in comparison to a glass of wine that has four. Four. How big is a pint? Is is that 16 ounces? Yes. Okay. Sometimes. As a diabetic, you're thinking about, you're breaking it it down. Depends on the glass. (laughs) Right. Well, a measured pint would be 16 ounces. Sometimes it comes out 14. Sometimes it's only 14. Or even 12. 
Well, and the reason I bring that up is because as a diabetic, we have to think about, you know, when I look at a beer can or whatever it may be, I'm factoring in that amount. So, or the book that I have here, which is um, calories and fat and all the carbs that are in things, like a basic thing that you keep in your purse or whatnot when you're learning to count carbs. And if you only get 12 ounces because they're just factoring a regular beer, you have to then the correction factor of pint having four more ounces so there's a lot of math that goes into diabetes especially with that so yeah yeah just giving a little background on the diabetic life and what we do we're responsible for counting every single carb and there's virtually no beers to list out the amount of carbohydrates on the outside of the can or the bottle and i was curious for you guys why is it is it difficult to put the amount of carbohydrates in the final product is sure, that why it's just it's not, not, not required it's so. not required so don't do it yeah okay uh, but here i have a list so they do make a list um that somebody has when we say that bud light was four grams yeah, there's a cool website out there it's called beer100.com that's and where i am sweet yeah and yeah, so i'm looking spot. and here uh, for example the red hook ipa has 12.6 grams so triple the amount for the same volume compared to a bud light i like that beer but it also tastes a lot better tastes so much better <laughs> what else do you see over there Anything um, else of note? well yeah we can pick some other styles how about Let's find. Uh, how about PBR? Dang, a PBR. I mean, that's a that's an easy drinking beer. Yep. Not a light beer though, I guess. PBR has twelve grams really? of carbohydrates hmm. and one hundred and forty-four calories. <laughs> All you hipsters wow. out there just know there's a lot more carbs in there than you thought. <laughs> just throwing that out there. All you PBRs. There's always a price to pay when you're paying a dollar a beer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see here. I'm gonna find a big number. Ah, here's here's a, a darker beer. It's not a stout. Uh, 1554 classified as a porter, possibly, or a dark brown something. I would just say a, a dark lager. Dark 1554 lager. by New Belgium. Yep, and it has 25 grams. Wow. Of carbohydrates. Wow, that's okay. That's a huge difference because whenever you're at the bar and I just look at the taps, if I saw a 1554, uh, whatever the local IPA is in Colorado, next to say a Stella, and I were to pick any of those three beers. I mean, you could be looking at a swing in blood sugar of 50 milligrams per deciliter, mm-hmm. depending on which beer you choose. So if you were to choose that that dark lager, I mean, for me, that's taking two units of insulin for a beer, maybe three units of insulin for well, a beer. Well, and for the average person, if you don't know, um, there uh, 12 grams of carbs are in the average piece of bread. So you're putting in, you're eating a sandwich. You're basically eating a sandwich. Yeah. It gets into your system a lot faster than a sandwich because there's not any fiber right. in beer. It's going to slow it down. Okay, so that's that's pretty important. Hmm. Yeah. Do you see any IPAs on there, Jonathan? Um, that one Summit Horizon Red IPA fell from Summit. 15 grams, 195 calories. And there's also a relationship between alcohol content and calories. If it's like, this is a low-calorie beer, it's because there's no alcohol. Because it's a three-point beer. Yeah. Like your Michelob Ultras, your... I don't even know any other ones. <laughs> what's, what's the Bud Light Select? Bud Select? Bud Select. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so if you were looking to to limit the amount of blood sugar fluctuation, you could take on one of those Michelob Ultras, a Bud Select, and you could probably have, I don't know, four or five of those and not reach the same amount of carbohydrates in one really strong dark beer. I'd be curious what Guinness has. Guinness actually has a low... Yeah, we looked that up because I remember um, when I was in Ireland being concerned that's the first time I ever had a Guinness and looking up the carbs and I thought it was like four. It was the equivalent of a glass of wine. So we'll... When Jonathan gets his crap together over here, we'll tell you. (laughs) 
And <laughs> speaking personally, Amber, you may uh, have some thoughts on this too. When it comes to drinking, there's a, a fine line. And from my experience is that depending on what you drink, you usually see an increase in blood sugar until a point. And then who knows when that point's going to hit during the night, but then right. your blood sugar plummets. We can talk about the science behind this here in a little while. There's five grams of carbs. 51, 14. 15. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 14 grams of carbs. Okay, well, I was wrong. So and again, I'm glad I lived through those <laughs> years. But another interesting thing, though, of note for me is that if I have two IPAs in a night, which is whenever I go out to a bar, I just like to have a couple of beers. Jonathan, 10? 10. 10. Thank you for that. Okay, 10 carbs in a guess. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Ryan Fightmaster. Okay. So, have a couple of IPAs. The next day, I will probably, if you look at my pump, I will take anywhere between six to 10 units of insulin less the next day. A significant amount of insulin less. And I know you drink more wine. Yeah, I'm definitely a wine person. Beer doesn't agree with my body anymore. Okay. I'll have a beer, maybe two tops, but the spike in blood sugar, I feel like crap get bloated and then have an unexpected complete dropout it's just not worth it yeah oh yeah you gotta be really careful yeah Again, which you can a- drink a couple of beers and be fine well i'm not gonna say fine maybe it's the difference between b- between um you being a pump, pump person and me having to shoot up so when i know that i'm gonna put in let's just say 40 grams of carbs for with two good beers i don't know when that's gonna affect me so it's different it's a different deal a lot of practice you gotta, <laughs> gotta respect what's going down so if i were to be at say 100 and have two beers two good beers mm-hmm. we're not talking about bud lights say yeah any any of your darker beer i would be at 300 if i didn't take any insulin for that right but if you were to have two glasses of wine and you didn't take any insulin for it what would you expect your blood sugar to be if you started off at 100 I well, let me. I mean, I drink plenty of red wine. Um, I never shoot up for it. You never see any rise. Do you see a little bit of a tick up? Never really tried or checked it. <laughs> Welcome to Norman, everybody. <laughs> that is <laughs> that is the local train. <laughs> you know, I, I, I that could be an experiment. I mean, I really haven't practiced that. Yeah, I'm usually drinking red wine in the evening, so it's not anywho. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I usually take dinner, a little bit of so. insulin for the first couple of drinks, and then I watch it really carefully. <laughs> right. Whenever it starts to level out, that's when you know the, the dive bomb's coming. And that would be the time during the night where you don't want to start taking shots. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I have to say, too, that um, with the wine, it doesn't spike my blood sugar like beer does. Which makes sense, because it has a significantly less amount of carbohydrates right. than this IPA that I'm drinking currently. <laughs> what are you drinking, Ryan? It is an upslope IPA out of Boulder, Colorado. Picked up the mixed pack on the way back uh, from spring break. We were out there doing a little snowboarding, a little bit of skiing, and we're back in town. Got to go to school tomorrow. Sad mm, day. Sad. Food. I know where the real life starts again. <laughs> okay, so I have a question for the 405 guys, and we were talking about this on the drive to Norman. So when you add flavor to a beer... Whether it be coffee flavored or there's all these apricot beers and I'm not a fruity kind of person, but does that, um, is what, okay. So let's just say it's an apricot flavored beer. Let's say, let's say it's grapefruit because <laughs> we have a grapefruit sour coming out this summer. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know. So do you add 
real grapefruit or is it a chemical? We had real fruits. Okay, that's good to know. And the and I'm thinking about with that addition, does that affect the carbohydrate rate? Or is that right? The carb rate? Um, I mean, I it would be sweeter. adding some sugar, but... Does the yeast still do the same thing with it, that type of sugar? It still does. It's a different type of sugar, though. Okay. That is closer to a simple sugar mm-hmm. than it is to, say, a malted sugar. Hmm. So, obviously, when the conversion is happening in grain, you have two different enzymes that are working to convert that carbohydrate to a sugar. One of them can can be eaten by yeast and the other cannot be eaten. So, hmm. that's why in beer, one of them creates the edible sugar, mm-hmm. which becomes alcohol. The other one creates a, a non-edible sugar, and that becomes body. I think it's fancy stuff like how far down the sugar molecules are broken into little chains and... And they are chains. Uh, one one, one enzyme eats from the ends, and the other actually breaks breaks the sugar chains. Well, and Ryan will probably geek out here in a second and give us how all that works. Yeah. <laughs> I can see the wheels turning in his head. So, um, Would you like for me to go ahead and geek out? Geek it out. All right. So this is the way it goes down. And this is not – okay, I'm no scientist. I just have a basic background in this this stuff with liver functioning. <laughs> so this is all about the liver. So the liver can actually do a little bit of sugar work inside the body, even though our pancreases don't work at all. So we don't have the ability to make glucagon anymore. So mm-hmm. we cannot raise our blood sugar with our pancreas because we don't have any glucagon. Right. right? No, obviously, we can't make insulin either, so we can't bring it down. So the only part of our body that can have any effect on our blood sugar besides the food we put in is the liver because it stores sugar. So during times of stress, it can actually, or in really just regularly throughout the day, the, the liver is constantly putting out a little bit of sugar all the time. And this is why if we just stopped eating insulin or if we just stopped eating food, stopped taking insulin, mm-hmm. our blood sugar would still rise even though we're not putting anything in. Hmm. It's because the liver's constantly doing a little bit of, uh, of blood sugar regulation because we're under stress. And the liver says, all right, you've got some stress. Let's put some sugar out for you. All right, so that process of letting sugar out that we normally have gets put on hold when you put alcohol in because alcohol gets detoxified by the liver. So the liver's occupied. The liver's like, yo, I'm busy for like the next 10 hours. I can't just continue to secrete insulin out or secrete sugar out. So that's why your blood sugar tends to dip because your body's really busy breaking down the alcohol and it can't put out the normal amount of sugar. So that's when we were talking about when you drink a couple of good beers and your blood sugar spikes and then hours later it t- completely bottoms out. Exactly. That's it. Okay, wow. Hmm. That's it. And that can last, depending on the person, for quite a long time because it takes a little while to break down alcohol in the body. I mean, they say it takes you know, a couple of hours to break down one drink of alcohol. So it, it takes quite a bit of time here. So if you were to go out as a college kid and have 10, 20 drinks, like some people do in binge drinking, mm-hmm. you're talking about a really long time on the impact it's going to have on your liver and your blood sugar. And we're talking 24, 48 hours worth of sugar not coming out and low blood sugars. I wish I would have known that in the college years. Yeah, back in college, I, I had this um, I had this distinct feeling that something was going on on Sunday nights. Like I couldn't go to sleep and no matter how much I'd eat, I would just... <laughs> I couldn't keep my blood sugar up and it just kept traveling down and down and down. And then I was like, I got out of college. I was like, well, what was I doing on Thursday, Friday and Saturday night? It's like, oh, voila, there you go. And so, yes, it's, it's a, it's something you got to respect. 
you got to be careful with. And anymore, it's really nice for me to have the CGM because I can track my blood sugar continuously so I can see exactly when that cliff comes and when we drop off. That really helps, for sure. And I don't take shots anymore. Ooh, I had a question for the guys. Yeah. Okay. So if you guys had to calculate here at 405 the carbohydrates that were going to go out on a can of beer that you produce or on a menu next to your beer at a restaurant, could you do it? The final carbohydrates or sugar? I bet that we could submit our recipe and information and someone could tell us what that means. The answer is yes, you can. Yeah. So when we buy grain, we receive all of the all the pertinent information there. On each bag is a piece of paper that gives us a complete breakdown. What it comes down to is that what kind of uh, what kind of conversions happening in the mash done, and that could then change the final output. So really, a lab is going to be the one to say, "Here is truly where your carbohydrates are, and here's how much sugar you have." But we could come up with a ballpark figure based upon what a uh, what a maltster has said. Here's the grain that's been killed, and here are the properties. Well, as Ryan mentioned earlier, is no cans or bottles have the carb on ratio on the back. We have to do our own individual research. Those one hundred calorie beers do, like make okay. Ultra and Butts. So like they do it, correct? But, it, because it's it, a selling point, right? Well, and because it's considered food, right? So in the state of Oklahoma, that's when it's true. considered a food mm-hmm. because it's a low point beer. Um, that's a requirement. So if with the diabetes rates skyrocketing. Would you consider putting the carbs on the back because it would maybe? So, this is. I just need education. When you say um, diabetes, you're referring to type two. Type two. Okay. Yeah, yep. we're the eight percent, and we have type one. Okay. Yes. How many di? What are the number? I mean, it's like how many millions? It's quite a few. Quite a few, and. It's quite a few. In Oklahoma, I know that we're approaching the one-third of all people in the state being affected by diabetes. And by 2030, yeah. we're going to be at 50%, well, according I, to rates of increase. And yeah. when people are diagnosed, they, of course, they say, "Cut. here's what you shouldn't eat or drink. And, of course, alcohol is one of them. So I believe in living, living a real life, and I know Ryan does as well, and that's just completely unrealistic. So I want people to still enjoy a really good beer and things like that. So would you consider listing the carbs or having that more available is that realistic with with the number of styles and being such a small business mm-hmm. that is a that is a huge expense and sure. not that it's not reasonable to ask for that mm-hmm. but that may not be something that's printed on the label maybe as much as it's put on the website okay. yeah that's a great because idea. that could yeah. change from batch to batch based mm-hmm. upon efficiencies and if we were to substitute some certain grains in or make adjustments mm-hmm. that could could change because we are we are an artisan brewery. Mm-hmm. We don't mass produce the same product over and over and over again. Sure. So everything's different. That's that's a valid point. And when you look at type 2 diabetes, we talk about moderation once again. Sure. It's, it's moderation in anything you do in life. Of, mm-hmm. you know, It's okay to enjoy a couple beers. Right. Make those really great beers that you're going to enjoy. 
And uh, a Harvard study of 38,000 men, this is back from 2011. I saw this study too. You did, 38,000 middle-aged men. Oh, yeah. Uh, found that when they just were these are occasional drinkers that when they would raise uh, raise their level of drinking to one to two beers per day that they were reducing their chances for type 2 diabetes by 25 percent that's fascinating again it goes back all to that moderation word yep and if you're having two or if you're having five stouts in a night that's not going to be advantageous or to your health absolutely to your body i mean that that is tough or a six pack of high quality beer yeah or a six pack of Bush light. <laughs> <laughs> PBR. Whatever. Yeah. PBR, whatever. Hey, no, hey, don't hit on PBR. Too I hard, know, right? I'm kidding. I'll drink right. a PBR. But yeah, that's that's an interesting point. And you know, I think there's so many people now too that are carbophobic that look at it and there's the paleo audience of people who generally just look at carbs and say we have to avoid it at all costs. I think for you guys it it wouldn't be worth putting it out there because you wouldn't be doing justice to your product because then people are gonna see it and say, Oh, there's carbs in this, but then you look at the other beer. And there's not anything labeled on there, so there must not be any carbs at all. So there would be no incentive, really, for a brewery to put their carbs out there unless there were two, three, or four. Because that's the only reason why you would put it on there. Because it's not... It, I think the general public isn't educated enough on carbohydrates yet to take it on the label of everything. And, and those that really benefit from a lot of carbohydrates are, I would say, in general, are a craft beer community. A craft beer community is typically more engaged in their personal health Mm-hmm. than say Indeed. just the average drinker mm-hmm. and when i think of craft beer drinkers i think of people who are into mountain climbing who are into uh cycling mm-hmm. camping any, rowing yeah. camping they're they're into physical activity and it's important to have carbohydrates in order to power your body and be mm-hmm. ready for those things in fact there's another study that i have here listed that talks about the effect of beer right after working out and how beer provides proteins that help your body rebuild directly after a workout so you're saying i should down a beer before a drug listen i'm not no before after 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 okay, and right. never down a beer please i'm not asking you to shotgun <laughs> i'm not asking you to build some sort of bong from the second story apartments and that would be, shot funny, beer. That would be <laughs> yeah. great yes I have I'm some kidding. fun yeah there's some fun stories from disney world of chugging beer from a second story balcony Ooh, yeah so any visuals uh negative (laughs) thank goodness we would post it (laughs) Uh, we will get these links and some of this research i know it's out there on the internet but we will find it compile it put it in the show notes for people to come back and look at too after the show because i've seen it too yeah there's a lot of post-workout beer uh inflammation and recovery research going on it's it's interesting and how much of that is us just trying to validate beer drinking (laughs) As scientists, or is it real science? That's, I think that's a question for all of science. But yeah, it's worth checking out. When you talk uh-huh. about the enjoyments of life, we look at beer, and I say, you know, it's something that's been around longer than almost anything else. Some people say the Bible talks about wine. I say go pre-Bible, and people are making beer. <laughs> and beer was something. I think this is really. This has nothing to do with diabetes at all. But when you look at the early brewers. And some probably some of the best brewers who have ever walked Earth, they were female. Yay! And women were the brewers. Shout out. <laughs> Shout out to the ladies. Yeah, and so I, I think this should be encouragement for any woman. If you're not currently brewing, you should give brewing a shot. Maybe we could have an amber. We I could come up with a beer for you guys. I think it's a fantastic idea. <laughs> amber, amber. <laughs> the amber, amber. You don't give yourself enough credit when it comes to beer. 
Oh, I'd love. I used to drink a lot of IPA. I also weighed about forty pounds heavy. I was forty pounds heavier. <laughs> Fact. <laughs> Good that, times. That that does bring up an interesting point, though, that you don't see very many women at the at the front of the brewery <laughs> scene currently in the craft brewing. I'm sure it's there, but it, it doesn't seem like something that's being marketed everywhere at this point. I, there's a place in Texas, I believe. Is that right? Well, there's like it's called. We we know for a fact bitches brew bitches brewing. I, I don't know. That's themselves I'm, I'm calling sorry. themselves bitches. Hey, but we'll we'll find it. We girls. can put it in the notes. Yeah. We, we yeah. know for a fact though that, uh, and I, I can't remember her name, but there was a great. She is a great brewer and now works in Nexus Brewing in Albuquerque, and she studied under Jeff Irway at La Cumbre, and that was her very first brewing job. But it's important to. I, to me, that's just something that's so underplayed. And I'm sorry, this has nothing to do with diabetes, but I think it's. No I, I think that men being aware of of feminism is so important that women should feel empowered to go out there and and also do these same things that I think feel like it's a, a male dominated uh, career, but really it's not. It, this is for everybody, and it, just like health, it's it's a, about everyone and about everyone pitching in and giving feedback and going out there and doing their doing their best to, to promote this and promote health. I agree, because it, be, it can be swung that way. It can be a health-promoting moderation event. And I think as a person with diabetes, it's important to note, too, that devastating things with alcohol are usually not going to happen with one beer or two beers. The, the horror stories you hear as a person with diabetes is the person that went out on their 21st birthday party, had 21 shots, and didn't wake up the next morning. I mean, and that is a completely different story than having a couple of good beers, hanging out with friends, and enjoying some great weather, camping, going rock climbing, doing whatever it is in your life. That's a different story, and I think that's what we're here to promote. And I think you guys put that off today uh, nicely. And I want to throw in just one other thing that Ryan and I were talking about on the drive down here is that, so would you, with your beers, do you come up with pairings? And I say that in that when you're when I think about drinking a beer and the carbs and everything else involved, and if I was having a heavy carb meal, I would try to have lots of protein or green vegetables or something else like that to, I'm not going to say balance it, but yeah, so do you do pairings? We love pairing beer. Give me a suggestion. What's the current beer you guys have out? What's it called? FDR, mm-hmm. the FDR was the one that went out, and now yeah. we have our spring stout. All right, so what would you guys pair with that spring stout? So many good options. Yeah. So <laughs> many. I would say a lot of that is is very weather dependent as well. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> spring stout, though. This is really this wide will open. Will there be a tornado I, coming I, through? I, I'm going to leave this completely op- open to interpretation, to, to whatever your palate feels. Typically, when I think of a great stout and I think of how I'm going to pair that, I usually want a really nice piece of meat with it. I want a great filet, a great steak, uh, well-seasoned, mm-hmm. and I usually want, want a vegetable that also has enough flavor and isn't, isn't overly bland. Because some stouts, you're going to have more of a, a bland flavor finished uh, by the roasty character, and I feel like the pairs well. One of my favorite pairings is going to be... Uh, some some grilled Brussels sprouts 
with a little bit Pickle. of seasoning mm-hmm. paired with the stout because mm-hmm. both are very flavorful, but I feel that they, they match really well together. So Ryan, being a plant-based person, what would you, with the stout, anything come to mind? Do you ever do that? Do you ever think about the beer and what you're going to make with it other than scraping stuff out of your shelf? <laughs> Wait, I think there's some common sense things <laughs> that you do if you're going to have a stout. I, I mean, I, I probably wouldn't have it with ice cream or something like that, but I usually don't think about it too much. Um, actually, ice cream and a stout wouldn't be that bad. To but, float. Yeah, you can float it. You can float it. But, I mean, the the Brussels sprouts thing, and you, there are so many different fake meats now that people right. use. I mean, you could you could definitely have something that has a similar texture and seasoning, and I never compare it to steak because nothing tastes like steak in the right. plant community. But, yeah, you could always match something like that. Hmm. I found this little article that I remember hearing on NPR not too long ago. Amber likes to drink a lot of wine. <laughs> You for this 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 article. Out. Let's make that clear. <laughs> this article. Okay, let's not. <laughs> that was published uh, December thirty first, two thousand fourteen, on NPR. Uh, some kind of study. I don't know the source of it, but <laughs> it, <laughs> you could be making had, this well, up. I, I didn't read the whole article. It had the word "study" in it. It was on in the diabetes. internet. Go All right. ahead. Research has shown <laughs> uh, beer. This person says has more selenium. B vitamins, phosphorus, folate, and niacin than wine. Oh, so you guys trying to convert me with? Yeah. So <laughs> it also has a significant protein and some fiber. So what you're talking about, Jonathan, is going to be B6 that you're going to find in beer, and you're also talking about silica. Silica. The pale. Most pale ales are are high. Are they the highest beer? They are the beer with the highest amount of silica, hmm. and silica is basically lubricant for your joints. So when you're thinking of beer, you should think about like, hey, I'm, you know, keeping your joints in good health. And I like that. It's kind of like a car door, right? Every once in once in a while, you need to put some grease on the car door. So I've got to drink. <laughs> I've got to drink a beer after a workout. A good beer, a single beer, not shotgun it. <laughs> it sounds. Hey, it sounds like we don't need any research. The the words I don't want to hear are, I'm going to go out there and work out and then get lubed up. <laughs> You're not going to hear me say I'm going to get lubed up. <laughs> Hopefully ever. Absolutely Anywho, not. Okay. <laughs> All right, Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan. Was there anything else from the study? <laughs> yeah. It does also point out that there are more calories in beer. So yes. even though you're getting more more good things, you get you, a lot, I lot am more going to gain calories. a lot of weight. Thank yeah. you. And there's also the highly anti-inflammatory <laughs> molecule that's in the grapes. What is it called? Totally forgot about it, but it's in the grapes, and yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> that beer is obviously not going to have unless you put grape juice inside of your beer, which maybe next year. Well, we made, we made a beer be... once with uh, prunes. Well, that's great. That's good. Fiber. Or, or were the dates? <laughs> Poop your pants after drinking a beer. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. Start your morning. It was probably the best <laughs> beer we've ever made. <laughs> really? <laughs> was it pretty good? I liked it a lot. Is it coming back? I'd love to try it again. Oh, will you tell me? Maybe in the fall? It was only maybe 13 or 12 or 13%. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, well, let me ask you. When you were talking about the spring beer earlier, Trey, what um, what are we talking about? Give us a teaser. Good beer. Yum. <laughs> spring beer. Boy, what do I think of when I think of spring? Take beer back to... I know. I know what you think of. Take beer back to, to the roots, and that is memories. Okay. And think of your favorite springtime memories. 
And you talk about camping. Yep. You talk about being outside. Outdoors. Green. Sun is coming out. Beautiful weather is around the corner. You're going to concerts outside. Yep. Hanging out by a fire pit with your friends. And no matter what the beer is, it should be one that's memorable and spent in good company and good times. Say fresh, goes down easy, or more I, I don't know if that's flavor, always the case because depending upon the area of the country that you're in, you may have a day that's, you know, it may be 75, 80 degrees during the day, and you might have lower temperatures at night if that's you're true. in a valley, and you might want this out at night and have something that's true. really nice and refreshing and light during the day. I think that the key thing is that you have to find what works well with your, with your taste buds. 405, we believe in letting nature truly control fermentation. And we do not temperature control our fermentation, which means we use Excellent. yeast strains that, uh, that work well in the Oklahoma heat during, during the summertime. So when I think of spring, I think of IPAs. As I said, I think of really, uh, really nice pale ales, and I think of sour beer. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say that spring stout too, which is going to be going on. The springtime tree thinks of Bradford pears. Bradford pears are the most disgusting tree, and I, <laughs> whoever engineered this tree—they smell horrible. I won't even say what they, they smell, smell like. I would, we all know. We all know. Allergies. We all feel the same way that it yeah. smells like that. Yes, mm-hmm. it's funky. If you don't have them, good for you. <laughs> You're lucky. Bradford pears, awful trees. We've we'll, digressed. We'll link to the Bradford Pair Wikipedia page <laughs> in the show notes. <laughs> all right. Oh, okay. The final question. Because I see this all the time when I get beer. What does session mean? Because it doesn't usually taste all that different than a normal Everybody's IPA. Pull out your iPhone. But it says session. You don't need an iPhone. Yeah, we can for answer this. that. Yeah. yeah, give us the Listen. session lowdown here. What is that? This is an, a new term or a newer term in the craft industry. Session means lower alcohol. You can drink a couple. Sit down, put a few back. Okay. Maybe it's a good word for... It, no. It's a good word for lower alcohol. Yeah. See, a I good no term, idea. I should say, not word. I had no idea. So if you're, you're going to have yourself a little beer session, and you can have two of ours and still feel good, maybe even three... Ooh. If we call them session beers. If you have them session, okay. But if you huh. were to have one of our FDRs, for example, you should not drink it as a session beer. <laughs> it's Within it two not, hours, you should not, not have sessionable. you should not have three of them in okay. two hours. <laughs> okay. Sessionable. Yeah. Mm. We can probably give a shout out to some great session beers from Oklahoma. Oh, please do. Yeah. Some great session beers that include Prairie, which is out of Tulsa. They make the Prairie Standard which I think has nationwide distribution. So wherever you are, you should go to your local liquor store and ask for the Oklahoma Prairie Standard Great Session Beer. Talk to people in California. They love the Prairie beers. Man, Prairie's hot. We, we love Chase. Thinks he's a great guy and a great brewer, and we're really proud to see he's putting Oklahoma on the map with some fantastic beer. And our friends over at Rough Tail do a, do a really wonderful session pale ale. Uh, I think it's oh, o- nice. only Oklahoma distribution. And... When Jonathan and I are, are, are out playing disc golf, we love to take the Coop Aleworks cans out with us. Oh, yeah. They do a pale ale. They do um, a Belgian-style beer. And just, again, really sessionable. You can have one. You can have two while you're outside and 
It's and you can buy them at a grocery store. And you can buy them at a grocery store, and it's not going to mess up the rest of your day. Are you guys looking to do that? Put together some lower ABV beers to sell in grocery stores eventually? Anything's possible. Or finally, um, we can help change some laws in the state of Oklahoma. Yes. Uh, anything is possible. Yeah, that's our lobbying point yes. of the day. <laughs> Senate Bill 424, which is currently... Uh, that passed the Senate 37 to 4 and is now to the House and is in committee and is being heard in two days. So on the 20, what that make it? The 24th of March. And then not to leave out, there's a whole brewery in Oklahoma that started with an entirely different uh, business model than the other ones, which is Mustang. Yep. Must, Mustang started a completely uh, contract. Con- contract brewing out of state which kind of turned some people off because they weren't even making their product here. They use Oklahoma wheat, right? Isn't that what they... Yeah, they which say? they do. They do, right? <laughs> um, but it's an Oklahoma But the whole, beer. even from the yeah. beginning, the first time I met Tim, who's the owner of Mustang, the, his whole goal was to make sessionable beer, which is why they weren't at that time you know, big and bold or really exciting. They were easy to drink and, and you could have a couple. They are, and they taste good. They taste a lot better than Bud Light does. And now they've progressed. They have a building, and they are making a high percentage of the beer here in Oklahoma. I don't, I don't know if it's all or not, but yes. So okay. they do make it here good now. Good to know. Yes, good they to are, know. They are now local. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. And to quickly just end this, wherever you are in the country, most likely you're going to be able to go to a local brewery and find a pale ale. And I think that's usually the go-to for breweries as far as having a sessionable beer is going to be right. their pale ale. Very good. Find a local brewery, I think grab that, a pale ale, drink it there if you can. If you can. Send it to you guys. <laughs> hashtag yeah. support local. Hashtag da- uh, diabetes daily grind. Mm-hmm. There you go. Hashtag, hashtag RLD, Real Life Diabetes Podcast. I like it. give one shout out to to a brewery because he's used to be the brewmaster here in norman and moved to austin texas because he wanted to do higher what are they called um higher alcohol alcohol alcohol. content um beers and so the thirsty planet brewery um brian smittle is awesome and if you get the opportunity to go out they do tastings on saturdays every time i head south i definitely cruise through there and he is um last time i was down there just started He's his company's blowing up, and it's wonderful to see um, somebody do that. Yeah, that's it. Woo-hoo. That's we all get, we got. We're gonna wrap up we podcast number four. We podcast number we four. We don't yeah. have any instruments. No accordions. <laughs> we have a pinball machine. <laughs> we have a pinball machine. <laughs> all right, that's close. That's it. Good job, guys. Bye. If you enjoyed our lively discussion about alcohol, give us a boost by liking us on Facebook or following us on Twitter. We provide entertaining takes and real support for the diabetic life. If you'd like to support this podcast, it's simple and probably something you're already doing. Click through our Amazon banner along the right side of diabetesdailygrind.com before you buy. It helps us immensely and it doesn't cost you an extra cent. If you like this podcast delivered straight to your phone, subscribe to Real Life Diabetes on iTunes or Stitcher. 
Big thanks to Jonathan Stapleton once again for all of the audio engineering and editing. I'd also like to thank the 405 Brewery. Not only have they been kind enough to host us, we got to sample a couple of their badass beers. And if you're anywhere in Oklahoma, you definitely need to check it out. They've got a couple of new things coming out. We'll be back really soon. Tell a friend. Enjoy the highs and lows, everyone. See you soon. Daily grind. It's a daily grind. And it grinds and grinds and grinds. You can get this disease from eating too much candy. Sugar mama. I will get him to do it again. I would love to get him on the show. Oh, he-